The gospel is a, is a call to, to be part of the body of Christ, but that then is followed by, by some actions. God calls us to reach out. You know, we're supposed to be um, stewards of his word and sharers of his word. We're supposed to go out and share the gospel and the good news of Christ. I believe the Lord has placed each one of them strategically where they're at so they can interact with their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers, their family. If we're not doing that, we're not growing, nor are we helping others. And it's been commanded of us to, to, to go, to grow, to learn, to love. The first and second services are gonna help equip you and challenge you and motivate you and energize you to go out and live the rest of the week as ambassador for Jesus Christ. There's lots of opportunities to really truly engage missions all across the board at Midland Free. That missions is local and global. So it's not an either or, it's a both and. You, know, you think you're gonna go and serve people and help people and really what you find out is you grow so much and they teach you things. We really think it's important to engage the world around us. And part of doing that is serving those around us who have needs. I think it's very important to take that out then from these four walls and share that good news with people who don't know about Jesus. Ideally, I'm excited also about that opportunity for our church body to continue to be engaged in the community as a whole. Get out there, walk outside your, your own front door, and go love. Being with the youth and watching them get really involved and watch their hearts change and watch them understand what God could do across, you know, the world. The removal of ourselves in serving um, the body of Christ is such a beautiful thing, too. And that's where we can really see God move is when we are emptied of ourselves and He is the one that is the outpouring of us. Reaching out, we, we just all need to make sure that we're doing our part to reach out. To pray, to give, to go, to send. The mission of the church isn't just to come together and engage. It's to engage so that we can reach out. We come together on a Sunday, we build each other up, and then we go out. So sometimes people criticize churches and they'll say, oh, this is a holy huddle. Well, it is a huddle. It really is. But the purpose of the huddle is not to stay huddled the rest of the game. It's to huddle, get together, set a plan, and go out. Morning. Hey, there, there we are. Yeah, so um, worship team, you can't keep doing this to, to me. Every time I preach, you, and I'm, this is in jest here, but... Um, they preached my sermon for me in the form of worship, and I love that. So, and then that video, um, I, I don't think I need to preach now. So, let's pray, wrap this thing up. Just kidding. Um, I'm a volunteer anyway, so it's not like you're paying for this. <laughs> All right, note to self, don't joke like that again. Um, so, let me just be really honest with you this morning. I'm really restless, um, and I'm not sure why. I'm, I've done this for a number of years, and so I'm not usually restless. Um, and that's the best way to describe it. It's not, I'm not nervous, but I just feel, I don't know. And I, I can't express exactly why. I, I think it's because um, this is such an important topic. Like, you can get a lot of things wrong. You can get how you run your church wrong. 
And that's, that's no big deal relative to getting the gospel wrong. Right? So the passage that I will be preaching from eventually this morning was called by, has been called by most, many theologians over the years, the pinnacle paragraph on the gospel in the pinnacle book on the gospel. And so now I'm thinking maybe the reason I'm so edgy is <laughs> that's a pretty tall task. Uh, happy to do it and I'm excited about doing it. But this is something that we have to get right. So um, I think that's why if I seem a little more nervous than normal, then maybe that's why. Um, but before we get started, just to help calm my nerves, if you don't mind, let's have a word of prayer and let's, let's get this thing started. Father, you are so gracious and so kind and so holy. And from our perspective, that feels like it's a contradiction. But it's not because you're perfect. And those things interact perfectly with each other in, in you. And so you know what it means to be holy and loving and how to balance those two things in a perfect way. Lord, just give me a calmness this morning. Give us ears to listen. Give us hearts to obey. And give us the desire and capacity and ability to reach out to those around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So this morning, um, even though this is a gospel passage, um, I will be speaking to the any potential person in this crowd. So if you're here and you're not quite sure what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I am preaching secondarily to you. But... Really what I'm doing today is kind of preaching to the choir. Okay, So I'm going to emphasize some things a little bit more from this passage to help those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ to be able to help us understand the gospel in a better way so that we can reach out to those around us. Okay, So let, before I do that though, let's, let's kind of tie this three R's that we've been talking about a lot together. So we've been talking about reunite, re-engage, and to reach out, right? Um, I had to look at Greg when I did that because uh, he's been teasing me viciously about we reunite, we Rubik's Cube, and we reach out. And, and it's funny because I catch myself, I'm, I don't want to use my hands today, but I'm going to have to do it because that's, I'm tactile. But so we're gonna, we've been talking a lot about, and Pastor Jeremy has set us up so nicely for this with the last two messages on reuniting, re-engaging, and today my theme is to reach out. And it's, these things all work together. The church was intended to be a group of people who are imperfect, who come together around the gospel and grow together. And you can't do that isolated in pods, right? We talk a lot about rubbing shoulders or rubbing elbows with people. And that sometimes you get a sharp elbow in the side when that happens. And that's part of the process that God's put together. Right? Sometimes we have conflict and part of being a church and part of growing together is to learn to deal with that conflict, work it out, forgive each other and move on. And that's part of why we come together. The other part of this is we talked about re-engaging. Right? And we've really put a strong emphasis on coming for two hours in the morning service so that we can engage 
or in this case, re-engage, engage with other believers, grow together, grow in the word, and that will help us to grow as a body. But if that's all we did, if that's all we did, we wouldn't be a complete church. If all we do is come together, engage, grow together, get smarter about God's word, know how to live it a little bit better, and kept our mouths shut when we leave this building, it's incomplete. Because God calls us to be people who reach out to those around us. As Jeremy said so well in that video, God has placed me in a strategic location to talk to people about Jesus. God has put you in a strategic location so that you can rub shoulders with the people that he's put you around with and you can tell them about Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. And I know it's been tough, right? Do you even go see your neighbors anymore because of COVID? Well, we're going to have to figure out how God can use us to reach out. So that's the context of what we're saying today. So that's why the emphasis today will be really on helping each one of us get a little bit better at sharing the gospel in a meaningful and clear way and in a God-honoring way. So that's the goal today. Now, since we are talking about reaching out, I just kind of, again, before we jump into the text, I want to mention some ways that in this church you can reach out. There's lots of things that you can do and I can do to invite people to. Okay, There's all sorts of opportunities. There's small churches. There are life groups that you can invite people to. Okay, We have a go local ministry, and I think they should be pulling the slide up here. You can actually scan that code if you're better than me technologically okay but if you're not good at that we have a go local section out back that you can find out ways that you can reach out right and coming up we also have on october 10th we have the go uh love local excuse me where we work with the north midland family center and we do an outreach to the people on that side of town okay so there are ways that you can get involved Okay? And those are ways that we've programmed to help you get involved in outreach. But the truth of the matter is that we, each one of us, all of us, I do, you do, we all do, we all need to be reaching out to those around us in the place that God has strategically placed us. And so the theme that I have today is to how can I, me, how can you share the gospel in a meaningful way? So what we're going to find from Romans chapter 3 verses 21 through 26 is that God calls us to share a clear and God-honoring gospel. God calls us to share a clear and God-honoring gospel. And so as you're turning to Romans chapter 3 verse 21, let me kind of give you some context. Romans chapter 3 obviously is in the context of Romans 1 and 2. Um, as you're turning there, let me give you some background and then I'll give you some context. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to a church he hadn't been to yet. A church that had come into existence from people traveling back from Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. And, and those who he met along the way who went to Rome. And there was actually a church founded there before he even got there. So he's writing to them and he wants to establish them as a possible missionary base so that he could actually, he wants to go to Spain. And if you think about where Rome is in the ancient world, and you think about where Spain is, that's pretty much the uttermost parts of the earth. right? That's about as far as you can get away from Rome and be still at the edge of the world. 
So Paul wanted to use them as a base. So he's writing to them and he wants to share with them the gospel that he's preaching. Now what's really interesting about the Roman church is it's a unique church in the ancient Near East or in the New Testament times because um, for reasons that I won't go into, there was about five years... It was about five years in the history of that church before Paul wrote to them where they were a particularly Gentile church with no Jewish believers in it. That's unique because even when Paul traveled, he went from synagogue, he would go into a town and he would find where the Jewish people congregated and he would tell them that Jesus is their Messiah. Right? So you would have this phenomenon where most of the New Testament churches were actually Jewish synagogues or people who were pulled out of the Jewish synagogues who formed the church because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Christ. So what's unique about Rome then is you literally have a church that developed for about five years without any Jewish influence. Okay? Without any Jewish influence. So that means as the Gentiles developed the church without any Jewish influence, the dietary restrictions wouldn't be there. Right? Think of all the dietary Jewish restrictions. If you were a Gentile and there was no Jews around for, to, to influence that in your church, there wouldn't be that problem. Bacon would be okay for you. Amen. I heard an amen on that. <laughs> Me too. I will amen that too. Uh, what about the clothing? Right, the, the Jewish traditional clothing wouldn't be part of the church. That's not typical for the, for the New Testament church. Because most of the, one of the biggest problems in the New Testament church was that you had Jewish people reaching out to Gentiles and then telling the Gentiles, you have to live like us. But that's not what happened in Rome. So, but five years of that, and guess what happens? Claudius Caesar says, okay, Jewish people, you're allowed to come back. You're allowed to come back to, to Rome. And by the way, if you want to chase that down, talk to me afterwards, or just look in the New Testament, look up Priscilla and Aquila, and read those passages, and you'll actually figure out, you'll be able to figure out for yourself why there was no Jewish influence in the Roman church for about five years. But Claudius kicked Jews out from Rome, and then Claudius then says, okay, I'm done, you can come back. And so literally, Priscilla and Aquila and some others come back, and all of a sudden you have this conflict, because the Jewish traditions were not being kept. Think of the days of worship. And if you were Jewish, you would worship on Saturday. But if you were a Gentile, you might worship on Friday. You might worship on Sunday. In fact, Sunday is the day that most right, traditionally became when Christians worship because Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. So you would have this natural conflict. And what you find is actually Romans chapters 13 and 14, that in particular, has a lot to do with the fact that there's this Jewish-Gentile conflict in the church that Paul is trying to solve. And those two people groups, he says to them, accept one another. You have disagreements, accept one another. You, you, one person wants to worship, one person doesn't want to eat meat, one person wants to dress a certain way, accept one another. Do you think we need that in the church today? Do you think? We really do, don't we? Let me, let me just be blunt. If you're on this side of the mask debate, or if you're on that side, and notice I'm just saying this and that on purpose, can you get along with each other? Can we love each other? Can we respect each other, even if we have differences of opinion? We need that message today. But that's a whole other sermon. 
So that's the context that Paul's writing to. Okay? And so even in the first part of the book where he's talking about the gospel and the need for the gospel, he's actually going to spend a lot of time alternating between the, co- the category of Jew and Greek or Jew and Gentile. And that's pretty much, if you were Jewish, that's how you split the world. There's us and then there's them. Right? And so even in the book, when we get into the context, we're going to find that Paul alternates talking about Gentiles need God, Jewish people need God. Jewish people are lost and need the gospel. Gentile people are lost and need the gospel. We all need the gospel. So that's the kind of broader purpose of the book of Romans. But for context, let's kind of talk through our way through a little bit of chapter 1. And then we'll finally land on our passage for the day. So the theme of the book of Romans is found in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So the theme of the book is that we can receive the righteousness of God through the gospel and through faith. Well, why why does that matter? Who cares if you can get the gospel by faith? Well, that's that's where chapters 1 verses 18 and following comes in. Look what he says in chapter 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The reason we need righteousness is because we're all under God's wrath. That's why I really, of course we talked through it ahead of time, but I really, really appreciated how Dan led worship today because he led with a problem. He led with a problem. We are under God's wrath. Doesn't sound too happy. Now, let's be honest. Do you think in our culture today, people like hearing that God has wrath and God is angry? Not so hot, right? So let me just kind of talk to you. Because some of you in this room may really struggle with that concept. And this is not something, I'm not saying this lightly. I want you to be able to work through this and think through this. Because this is an important thing. Okay, so most of us really love the idea of as God as the, God as the grandfather who dishes out candy every time you come to visit him. Like I, I just found out recently I'm going to be a grandfather soon. And so um, I decided ahead of time that I'm going to be the granddad with the gum. G-san or whatever they call me is going to have gum. So whenever they come, they're going to be like, I can't wait to see granddad. Because why? Because he's got gum for me. And then that'll turn into being a favorite later. (laughs) They'll forget about the gum and they'll just remember me, I hope. But the truth is, that's kind of the picture that the, the world wants us to think about God, doesn't it? God wants us, to, the, the world wants us to think about God as this kind of candy dispenser who loves everybody and it's all going to be okay in the end and love is going to win in the end. But that's not what this text says. This says 
the wrath of God is revealed against the unrighteousness and godly some men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So that's the problem. Now, but let's, let's talk a little bit more about this wrath. See, even though the world wants us to think about God as just being a kind old man, the truth is, do we really want to live in a world where there is no justice and sin is not punished? Let me, let me make a really, this is such a small example, such a trite example. Okay, but if someone, you, you, someone that you do not know, right, never met the person in your life, and they just randomly walked up to you and smacked you in the face, would you have a right to be angry? Would you? Of course, right? Why? They violated you. They hurt you for no reason. They had no right to do that. See, there is this sense of justice even in the world today where they were like, I want, I want wrong punished. Just look at last summer. Not this summer, the previous summer. The whole summer was about justice, was it not? There was this drive for wrong to be punished. So I'm not suggesting that you should follow Jesus because you want justice in the world. What I'm suggesting is this. The world knows instinctively that they want justice because God put it in them. So if you're talking to someone and they're like, I just don't like this angry God that you talk about. This is a good, a good way to approach it. Do you have the right to just randomly hurt somebody and not be punished for that? Now let's ramp it up a little bit. A rapist. Do you want a rapist to be punished? Do you want Hitler to be punished? Yes, yes, yes. Right? So part of reaching out to people might be confronting in a gentle, loving, winsome way the fact that they want to have a candy dispensing God. But really their whole instinct, their whole human being, because God created them that way, is to want justice. And God offers that justice in the world. The problem is... We get to be the recipient of that justice, and that, that's not so happy. But that's the truth. We all have those moments where we sense and feel unrighteous. And that's a gift. And as we're reaching out to people, it might be just kind of finding a way to help them see that for themselves. And to see that, hey, I, 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 I might not like it up here, but my, everything in my bones tells me that God is right to be angry with sin. Let's, let's, again, we ramped it up a little bit, ramped it up some more. Let's talk about this. Every time we sin, we literally go up and smack God in the face because he's our creator. He made us to be holy. And every single time we sin, we smack him in the face. Does God have a right to be angry? He does. So God has wrath. So that's why the gospel, because there's sin in the world. Sin that we participate in, that we actively participate in, and God is not going to be the one to let that go. There's that passage that we um, quoted earlier that um, Dan did uh, in Ephesians, excuse me, in Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus chapter 34, I think we have it on the screen for you here. In Exodus chapter 34, what we have is God revealing himself to Moses. 
God revealing himself to Moses. Most Old Testament theologians would say this is one of the most crucial moments of self-revelation that God makes in the Old Testament. And I agree with that statement. This is where Moses actually intercedes for the people and he begs God to reestablish the Old Covenant with them. Um, If you don't mind, I'll pull that back up. I want to read it. Then the Lord passed by in front of Moses, that's him being Moses there, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in faithfulness and truth. Next one, if you want me in. Who keeps faithfulness for thousands, who forgives wrongdoing, violation of his law and sin. That's the one we like, but this isn't the one that we don't like. Who keeps faithfulness, uh, let's skip forward, sorry, to the underlying section. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Inflicting the punishment of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. So this is the gospel tension. This is the gospel tension. God, notice it doesn't say God cannot leave sin unpunished. It says he will not. It's not like God's up there going, oh, you know, I really want to forgive everybody, but I just, I can't. I have to punish sin. No. If we really understood God's holiness and just how perfect he is and just how imperfect we were, we would say, yay, God, for not letting sin go unpunished. It's that he will not let sin go unpunished. And I think that heightens that just a little bit. Wow, this is depressing so far. So basically what's going to happen from 118 all the way down to chapter 3 verse 19 and 20, is there's going to be this alternating discussion about who's guilty. Gentiles, those who've never received the gospel, are all guilty. The the Jewish people who had the Old Testament law, they're guilty. And he he just keeps hammering that point to the different audiences that he's speaking to in Rome. And he says, guess what? You're guilty, group one, and you're guilty, group two. And you're guilty, group one, and you're guilty, group two. And then he's going to say, look, we're all guilty. So this is his conclusion in chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Now what, excuse me, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth might be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So he wraps this huge argument, 118, all the way down to 319 and 20, and basically says, here's the conclusion. You're guilty, you're guilty, we're all guilty. Because we're all under the punishment for sin. And that's the bad news. But we need the bad news so that we actually have some good news. We can't have the good news without the bad news. So that brings us finally, sorry for that long introduction, but that brings us to the text that we're going to look at today. So let's look at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. And I'm just going to read it all, and then we'll kind of break it down piece by piece. So, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So as we attack, attack, it's probably not the best way to say that. As we work our way down through this passage, we're going to see two basic sections. In chapters 3, verses 21 through 25, we're going to see the gospel made clear. And then we're going to see 25 and 26, a God-honoring gospel. Okay, So uh, verses 21 through 25a are a one long sentence with a parenthetical statement in the middle of it. And it's really convoluted. Okay? So I was really trying to figure out how I could do best to help us understand what's going on here. And the, the way I decided I'm going to do this, I'm just going to give you five statements about the gospel that we find here in this text. And then that way I don't have to kind of deal with the sentence structure um, and hopefully it'll be less confusing. So the five statements uh, about the gospel from, from the first half of this passage. In verse 21, we're going to see this. And there's no notes on this, um, so bear with me. Um, The communications department here does such a great job, and I overworked them, and I didn't want to give them one more thing to do. So uh, if you're taking notes, I'll try to repeat what I'm about to say a couple times. But statement number one about the gospel. Obeying the Old Testament can't make you righteous, but reading it can Obeying the Old Testament can't make you righteous, but reading it can. So there's, I think there's a kind of play on words going on here in chapter 21. Because he says that, or verse 3, uh, excuse me, verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and prophets. So there's a really, you almost have to pull things apart here to kind of make sense out of it. So in verse 30, he basically says this, by, no, uh, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified before God. You can't come to God and be declared righteous by doing the works of the law. So then in verse 31, he says, now apart from that law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. So the temptation would be for us to say, well, the Old Testament's no good. Why? Because you can't be justified with God because of it. Right, Because the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Well, the law here doesn't refer to the Old Testament. The law refers to obeying the Old Covenant or the Mosaic Covenant. The Ten Commandments is a summary of that covenant. So what he says is, what he says is, you can't be righteous by doing good works. You can't be righteous by serving in church. You can't be righteous... By preaching the gospel to people. You can't be righteous by that which you do. But he also says you can't throw out the Old Testament. Because by reading the Old Testament you will actually learn what the gospel really is. Now some of you are probably like me. I spent probably 17 years of my life thinking that the Old Testament people were saved by obeying the law. How many thought that when you were younger? I I spent a lot of time thinking that. Okay. That's not true. 
Chapter 4 of Romans is actually going to be a demonstration from the Old Testament that salvation has always been by grace through faith. So what Paul is doing is saying, look, you can't get righteousness by obeying the Old Testament law, but you can learn how to become righteous by reading the law and the prophets. And that's the way of summarizing the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. Together, those are the Old Testament. And I'm saying this because they're in, okay, so I need to, I want to couch things very carefully here, okay? Because as, as those who speak the word, we want to try to be winsome and we want to try to be as positive as we can, as much as we can. But there are times we have to warn you about things. It's a responsibility of God's elders in a church to warn the congregants of false teaching that's out there. But I want to try to do it in as winsome a way as possible. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to tell you who not to listen to. But I want to warn you about a teaching that is out here. And you you, you can find it on the internet. I'm not asking you to look him up so you can find him and talk badly about him. When you come across this, you cannot give them any credence. There's a huge movement today of people who are trying to unhitch the gospel from the Old Testament. The scriptures say all scriptures are inspired by God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We cannot throw out the Old Testament. It doesn't take long if you find somebody who says you got to unhitch the Old Testament from the gospel or the gospel from the Old Testament. It's because they're embarrassed by the message of the Old Testament. God is too mean in the Old Testament, they think. Even though we learned about God's kindness and his gracious attitude and his willingness to forgive from the Old Testament. But they try to unhitch that. So what Paul is saying is here, you can't get righteous by obeying the Old Testament law. We need grace and we need faith. But... If you read your Bible straight through, you get grace through faith from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Because the gospel, there's one gospel and only one gospel. And it is found in the Old Testament. And that Old Testament is part of our scriptures. And we need to keep that scripture. So that's statement number one. Obeying the Old Testament law can't make you righteous. But reading it can lead you there. Statement number two. The righteousness that we all need comes by faith. The righteousness that we need, all need, excuse me, comes by faith. Look at verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. So, how does one turn from their sin and follow God? You repent and you believe. You turn from your sin and you follow Jesus. And it's that simple. You can't earn it. It's too big. You can't push it up a hill. It's too heavy. You cannot do anything to earn this. The only thing that you can do is throw yourself at the mercy of God and receive the gift that he's offering. And we do that through repentance and through belief. And that's faith. And that's faith. Statement number three. And this is a parenthetical statement. This is Paul heating back. Again, remember his audience. We, we tend to be a very egalitarian, very open, friendly group uh, in modern world. In the ancient world, Jews looked at themselves as 
we're the it group and everybody else is on the outside. So Paul always comes back to this and say, no, you're all one group. Why do I say that? Look in verse, at the end of verse 22. All those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is he talking about distinction there? He's talking about the Jew-Gentile distinction that the, the Jewish believers are tempted to make when they read this passage. There is no distinction. Why is there no distinction? We're all lost. We're all lost. You may have grown up in the church. You may have served in a church your whole life. And then some person from Austin Street who has lived the most heathen lifestyle comes in. There's no distinction because you've sinned and they've sinned and we're all lost before God. We all need the gospel, which comes through faith. Statement number four. God declares those with faith legally righteous because of God's redemptive death. Right? So he talks about the parenthetical statement. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why we all need it. Being justified, which refers back to verse 22. For all those who believe, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. That is a lot of words packed in. I'm not going to spend a lot of time breaking apart each word. I'm going to focus what I think is probably the most important word for us here today. And that is justified. Justification is a legal term. And it means to be declared righteous. It means to be declared righteous. It's a legal declaration of righteousness. This is where justification is different than being called innocent. Or not guilty. In American courts, you're not declared innocent, right? Because you could be guilty, they just can't prove it. We're not declared innocent because we're guilty of sin. What does it mean? That means God declares you righteous as a judge because he is actually taking the righteousness that Jesus accomplished and placing it on you legally and thereby he substitutes for you as a recipient of the punishment that sin deserves and we get to be declared righteous. We get to be declared righteous. It's as if the righteousness of Christ is placed onto our account. Now, the last statement of the gospel here. Jesus' redemption happens, or salvation can happen because he satisfies God's wrath with his final public sacrifice. The term, well, let me just get back here and read. I got away from my podium, shouldn't have done that. Look at verse 25. Verse 24, he says, you've been justified. In verse 25, speaking of Jesus, he says, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Now we're going to come back to this term. He was displayed publicly for this in a few seconds here. But let me jump ahead to the term propitiation. The term propitiation is a wrath satisfying sacrifice. Did you catch that? The term propitiation refers to a wrath-satisfying sacrifice. Now, where had we heard the term wrath before in Romans chapter 1? Verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth with their unrighteousness. So, we are under God's wrath. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. 
and the sacrificial public death of Jesus is a wrath satisfying sacrifice. So when we stand before God, the punishment that we deserve is literally been absorbed by Jesus and suffered by Jesus. And that's why, and that's why we can have a right relationship with God. That's why we can have a right relationship with God. Because it satisfies God's wrath. By the way, can you see now why the gospel is incomplete without sin and without wrath? Right? I beseech you, I beg of you to never compromise on the sin part of that. So there's another movement today. Well, no, that's for the second half. Sorry, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Too eager to talk about it. So what I wanted to do is, if there's someone here today, if there's someone here today who has never repented and embraced Jesus as their Savior, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you to do that today. You can even do it right now at your seat. Um, But after the message, there'll be a number of us down here um, someone you know that can share the gospel with you, if maybe you're a guest of someone who's a believer, find them, seek them out. Let them know that you want to accept Christ as your Savior today. Right? But again, that's not, you're not my primary message today, but that's got to be always up front, right? So again, we beseech you, if, if that's something, if, if you feel God calling you today, then I encourage you to, 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 to receive that. But what I want to do now is kind of give us, because remember the theme is reaching out. We want to be reaching out. We want to receive. We want to come back together. We want to re-engage. We want to grow. And we want to go out and we want to receive. So what I, uh, excuse me, reach out. Um, What I want to do is kind of give you a way that you can take almost any passage in the Bible that talks about salvation and you can kind of visually show it to someone. Okay, And I'm really grateful for the communications. People here, Sarah in particular, I think helped create this PowerPoint. But if you don't mind pulling up. So here we have a picture and you can take this on a napkin. This is just a really easy way to talk. You can do it verbally. You can do it on a napkin. You could, frankly, you could just do it chalk on the sidewalk if you really wanted to. But here we have the problem that we have is there's this separation between man and God. And what is that separation? Next slide. We are separated from God by sin. Right? We're separated by God from sin. Separated from God by sin. There we go. So on this side, man, we are sinful. We are under God's wrath. Right? We are sinful and we're under God's wrath. Notice I'm just kind of walking through my sermon here. Okay? All right. God, he is loving and he is holy. And I I would encourage every believer to know Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Because that is a core revelation by God of who he is. Right? He is both loving and he is holy. All right, next slide. The bridge that gets us back to relationship with God is Jesus. Next slide. He lived a perfect life. He offered his life as a sacrificial death. Okay. Now, the one thing, again, I, I forgot to give them one more slide to give. And the, the way I would just add to that is, How do you get across that bridge? By repentance and faith. 
How do you get across that bridge? Repentance and faith. That's a really simple way that you can help visually and then take them to a passage like this one. Ephesians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 3. There's all sorts of passages. Tip to, uh, Titus 3, 5. Right? There's all sorts of passages that you could go to to share the gospel with. And you could use that picture to do it with. And again... That's not the only way to do it. There's lots of ways of doing it. I personally prefer to walk through the book of Romans. I just love starting in Romans 1, 16, 17 and kind of walking them through section by section. But we all have a way, but we all should have a way where we're prepared to teach and share the gospel. Okay. And if that bridge thing helps you, great. If it doesn't, you already have a way of doing it, even better. Okay. But we all should be willing to share the gospel. So those are the five statements about the gospel itself. Um, so we talked about a clear presentation of the gospel. Now I want to talk to, be, to you about a God-honoring presentation of the gospel. Okay? A God-honoring presentation of the gospel. So probably 25 and 26 were... I spent a number of years teaching the book of Romans when I was teaching at Bible college. And I probably struggled most to understand verses 25 and 26. Because they are pretty convoluted. But look what it says. Verse 25. He says, Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. And why would, why would he say that God put Jesus' death as a public display? He says it in the next verse. But so let me just tell you, that word actually means public display. Okay, So the word itself can mean just to kind of push forward and set in front of people. Or in a technical sense, it can be a public display, like you might think of our public displays that we have out back here. Okay, Now the reason why I think it's not just that like you kind of put it forward, and it's actually a technical term, is because there's two words, one word that's used twice in verse 26. It says, as a demonstration you see? So it's not just this random word and you put it up in front of people. It's a public display as a demonstration. Do you see why those two things fit together? Okay. So Jesus, it was not good enough for God for Jesus to die behind a woodshed somewhere. It was not good enough for God that Jesus be put to death in a prison. It had to be a public display. God purposely Put Jesus' death as a public display. Well, why? Well, what does he say? For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. So that he would be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. First of all, I skipped the first demonstration. Sorry, it's in verse 25. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. So in the past, think Old Testament here, in the past, God passed over the sins that occurred. So sin would happen, what did he do? He passed over it. He forgave. I'm sorry, he didn't forgive. He passed over it. So sin happened, he passed over it. Sin happened, he passed over it. Sin happened, he passed over it. Okay, what's wrong with that? Isn't that only one half of Exodus 34, 6 and 7? 
Doesn't it say, I will forgive, but I will not let sin go unpunished? So if we share a gospel that's just forgiveness and no God punishes sin, all we're saying is God passed over sins, previous committed, he passed them over, he passed them over, he passed them over. That's the past. Look what he says in the present, verse 26. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness, when? At the present time, so that he would be both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So it's not good enough for God just to pass over the sins over and over and over again. He has to punish those sins in Jesus so that his character will be defended. Did you catch that? He wants the world to know that he is both loving and kind and forbearing and forgiving. But he also wants the world to know that he punishes sin because he's holy and he's righteous. And that's the God we proclaim. We don't proclaim a God who's a mamby-pamby. I just forget about sin and I just pass it over and there's going to be no consequences. Now, me personally, I'm not sure I would put the same amount of care into that issue as God does. But he's God and I'm not. So if God thinks this is important, then we need to think this is important. Amen? It's important for us to share both halves of the gospel. One, there is no gospel without the bad half. And there's no true God who is holy and righteous and forgives. Because that's God. That's the God that reveals himself in the scriptures. Now, I say this. And I say this with nothing but grief in my heart, but there is a huge, huge, that's probably a bad adjective there, or adverb, adjective. There are a large, there we go, there are a large number of churches out there who do not preach a whole gospel. I recently listened to a message online. And again, here I want to try to be as winsome as I can as I warn you. Because there's so much information out there on the internet that you can get information from all over the place and never pay attention to what you hear on Sunday morning. And that's okay as long as they're teaching the word of God. And as long as we're teaching the word of God, then we're worth listening to here. Amen? But here's, here's what's happening out there. There is a strong desire to soft sell the gospel. And again, I'm trying to be as winsome as I can. But the truth of the matter is, that there are churches out there who are purposely not talking about anything offensive in the church service. There are churches that will not do anything that might scare people who don't know Jesus away from the church. What does Paul say about the gospel? Is it attractive to the world or is it an offense? It's an offense. Now that doesn't mean we need to be cold, car, uh, crass, callous people who don't care about the unsaved. We need to be the most winsome people in the world. However, we can't soft pedal the gospel. This message that I recently listened to, the theme of the message, and I'm, I'm not doing this so you'll go look it up because that's not my point. I'm not trying to point out other people's wrongs. I just want to point out truth and so that we can, and error so that we can avoid it. But the theme of the message was, 
how to deal with mean people. So about four minutes into the message, the, the particular individual said, well, we were thinking about how to deal with bad people, but we didn't want to do that because around here, we don't really like to think of people as being bad. Okay. And then, and then later, this particular individual said, well, God sent Jesus and I was expecting here to die for a sin. He sent Jesus to make a way back to God. Okay. Is that true? Yes. Is that the gospel? No, that's avoiding sin. That's avoiding God being a God who is holy. Now, the fear that I have is that in presenting something like this, that we would want to become hypercritical people and we'll just start looking at the internet to try to find people we disagree with. That's not what we should be doing. The other thing that I kind of worry about saying stuff like this is make you feel like, oh no, I'm not able to share the gospel. No, the gospel is pretty simple. That bridge picture, it's really easy to share. You can do it. I can do it. We all can do it. But here's the thing. Don't ever compromise the truth of sin and the truth of God's anger at sin. Because that is actually the gospel. That's actually why, that's why we actually have the gospel. Wow, that was heavy and that went a little bit long. I'm sorry. Um, let's pray and then we'll, Dan will come back up and lead us in a song. Father, um, it's a responsibility to represent you in the world, but it's a responsibility that you've given to us. Uh, it's a responsibility that I pray that we would embrace. It's a responsibility that, that hopefully we can do in a, in a winsome and loving way. Help us to be those who speak the truth in love. Help us to be those who will speak your truth without compromise. And Lord, even more than all of that, help us to be those who worship you in truth because how much we appreciate what you've done for us in the gospel. Because why would we do anything else but worship you after you've saved us? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.